Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. It is great to be back from vacation. I had a great week last week, and I love being back in this chair doing the thing that I enjoy doing as much as anything, which is sitting here talking to all of you as part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I love summer because of going to the beach and all the vacation stuff and things like that that you do. And I will say this, that one of the other things that I have really enjoyed so much this summer, and I'll kind of make this quick and then turn this into Georgia football after that, but I have loved the way that everybody seems to be really gravitating towards this new Top Gun movie. I saw it myself a couple of weekends ago, and I loved it the best that I can tell if you use social media as your guy, which is about the best guy we have right now, is that everybody just seems to be really, really enjoying this. What is it? Rotten Tomatoes score like 90 something percent or something like that. I mean, it's this is this is as close as we get to universal appreciation, universal approval this Top Gun movie is just being embraced in a way that very few things in pop culture get universally unanimously embraced anymore. And for me, it's been really fun to see because it is a little bit of a throwback to the way that things used to be. Like when I was a kid growing up and not to make this, you know, old time hour, but when I was a kid growing up, there just weren't nearly as many choices back then as there are now. And so it was quite possible for um, what's felt like everybody to be watching the same TV show or everybody to be seeing the same movie or everybody to be listening to the same album. Because back then there were just so many, there were just so few choices compared to what we have today that it just seemed like you had these large number, millions and millions and millions of people sort of gravitating towards the same stuff. And now in 2022, that's not the way things are anymore. Now, it's great to have a bunch of choices, but when you have a bunch of choices, it leads to sort of a fragmented society. It's like you know, all of a sudden the thing that's cool is knowing about the musical act that nobody else has heard of or watching the streaming TV show that nobody else has seen yet. That's a certain thing that kind of feels cool that you found something that other people don't yet know about. But to have this moment in 2022 when everybody kind of like is going back to movie theater and seeing the big movie and everybody's kind of having the same shared experience, there's something about that that really feels cool. It has felt good to be a part of something big. And there's no doubt that movie, big movie star Tom Cruise, big you know budget, you know, everything about that just sort of feels big the way that a summer movie is supposed to feel. Now, my reason for saying that is on vacation when I was there this past week, I got a similar vibe around Georgia football a little bit, too. and Maybe you experience this when you're traveling uh, right now. It just seems like Georgia gear is just everywhere. Like, uh, you know, when we go on vacation, we don't travel too far from home. So there's going to be a bunch of Georgia fans around. But, man, you know, you around the pool or you're on the the beach, you're in the ocean, whatever else. And you just see the Georgia T-shirts, the Georgia hats, you know, the Georgia stickers on the coolers. You just see the Georgia stuff everywhere. Like, I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life. And obviously, it's easy to understand why, because Georgia just won uh, the national championship. But I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life where Georgia football feels bigger than it feels right now. Much the same way like a Top Gun, you know, summer blockbuster type thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly it just, you know, creates this kind of big tent that everybody kind of wants to be a part of. It seems like there's this sort of groundswell around Georgia football, too, where the fan base is obviously getting bigger or more passionate or more engaged or whatever else. And that's creating 
I would say some kind of after effects for the program, too. And, and some of that seems to be being utilized when it comes to Georgia's recruiting efforts there as well. It was kind of fun to watch. And I admittedly was kind of watching this from afar because I was out of town. And for the most part, I was pretty unplugged uh, as I was on my vacation. But you're obviously aware that what kind of bookends the start and conclusion of my vacation were these great recruiting weekends for UGA. And I think it's been kind of really fun to watch the way in which Georgia football, in terms of the the way in which it's presenting itself to recruits, is kind of presenting itself almost like a like a Top Gun summer blockbuster type thing of, well, eventually everybody's going to see this. So you might as well see it, too. You know, it, it seems like the way in which Georgia's selling itself to recruits right now is, listen, this thing is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is the kind of thing that the best players are looking to sign up to be a part of. And so, therefore, if that's what you want to if, if you want to be considered one of those best players. If you want to be kind of in that category, then you might as well sign up and be a part of this there as well. It's really fun to watch the way in which Georgia is recruiting right now from a position of strength. It's leveraging its size. It's leveraging its kind of blockbuster status as a way of attracting more recruits in the program. This particular weekend, another example of that there as well. I thought it was really cool to see Jordan Davis back on hand there for UGA. And listen, I don't know that any one player has has done more to help Georgia feel as big as it feels right now than Davis. He's got that huge personality. He obviously was incredibly successful in the field, winning the Benaric and the Outland Trophy. Uh, you know, he goes on to become a first-round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles. He really wins that fan base over very quickly, wins that local media group over very quickly, something that's not always easy to do in Philadelphia. But, you know, he's, he's going to help, I would say, the 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 – you know, the dogs feel more connected to the Atlanta market there as well because of the way in which he's a big Braves fan. He's always wearing that Braves jersey, you know, who's uh, throwing out the first pitch with a Braves jersey for the national championship celebration. He's almost connected the University of Georgia back to Atlanta in a way that maybe it all wasn't always super connected before that. That, that, that Jordan Davis has just done a great job of making the Georgia program feel as, as big as it feels right now, feeling like sort of the top gun of college football right Right now, Davis has done just a really good job of making all that happen. And so to see him back on campus here recently, I don't know, to me, it felt really poignant. If you're watching on video, I'll show this to you. And if you uh, want to see it for yourself, if you're listening to radio podcast, I'll put a link when I post the show a little bit later on. Like the Georgia football account kind of had this funny thing they put out there of a, you know, basically a coaches meeting taking place and Kirby smart a little bit late to get in there and Jordan Davis walks in and kind of sits down at the chair and you know sort of pretending to be Kirby smart there for a moment then finally uh Kirby comes in and Davis hops up it's kind of a funny exchange it's a another example of the personality that that Davis kind of always kind of put on display the things that he's kind of always done really well it was kind of fun to watch the Georgia football account kind of highlight that and show that off for everybody on uh, social media. We may not have that for you. Uh, uh, we may not have that for you, but uh, nonetheless, uh, if you get a chance to see that, I think it's a really good thing to be able to see. But what we do have, what we can show for you, and what was uh, really good to be able to see is also Davis being leveraged to help another recruit who's being kind of called the next Jordan Davis in some respects. Jamal Jarrett, big defensive lineman. That's a guy that Jeff Sintel has written for you about a lot there at dognation.com. And I think that Jarrett has kind of enjoyed the idea that he could follow in the footsteps of uh, of a guy like Jordan Davis to be that big defensive lineman from North Carolina, to be that guy that can kind of come in and do those kinds of things. And for Georgia to have these kind of resources available right now, 
once again speaks to its status sort of that sort of blockbuster program sort of that top gun of college football where you have the ability to say oh would you like to come here and be a defensive lineman what if you could be the next jordan davis and not just kind of have that be an idea that's spoken about but have that be the 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 kind of thing that you can bring davis back on campus and have him you know showing up in videos showing up in photos in fact let me show you a couple of these once again if you're watching on video uh, you know davis hanging out with jamal jarrett uh you know jarrett shared this on his uh twitter feed and he's showing that off and everybody's all smiles right there the national championship trophy they are included but these are the kinds of things that uh, jared has shown off on twitter uh he's obviously very proud of the fact that uh that davis is back on campus to welcome him that uh that davis and uh jared are posing for those photos together they obviously enjoy all that kind of stuff and it just sort of speaks to the strength and the power that georgia has from a recruiting standpoint that it's able to do that now and honestly you know listen as a georgia fan obviously we do this show for georgia fans i myself am a georgia fan i think it's always obviously good news when georgia gets big time players right i mean you know you 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 celebrate georgia's recruiting wins and it's cool anytime a big time player wants to come to uga maybe eventually that's what jamal jared will do or maybe that's what janelle aguero will do or some of the other guys were on campus here this weekend but i sort of find myself now that georgia under kirby smart has been at this for a little while i sort of find myself kind of thinking about things beyond just the well, which good players does Georgia get and, you know, which guys does Georgia maybe miss out on? I sort of think about things beyond that a little bit. I sort of think about things along the lines of what is the message that Georgia is trying to send through its recruiting efforts? What is the what is the pitch here? You know, how is Georgia um, recruiting itself here at the moment? And I think it's pretty cool as a Georgia fan to be able to say that Georgia really is recruiting from a position of strength here, uh, that Georgia really is putting resources on display that not everybody can match. There are very few programs that when a guy like Jarrett comes in, as he did this weekend, that can have a guy like Jordan Davis back on campus, recently minted first-round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles, a lot of hardware from this past season, the Outland Trophy, the Bednarik Trophy, and obviously a big part of what led to Georgia's national championship. There are very few programs that can put that on display. You know, Beyond the cookie cake and the cool stuff in the hotel room and all the other things that go on there, uh, to be able to have a guy like that back on campus, to be the human embodiment of what a guy like Jarrett wants to be, that's just the kind of blockbuster status that very few programs can truly attain but georgia was able to put that on display here this weekend so to me it was fun to see it's it's fun to follow this stuff on social media it's cool that the recruits themselves continue to share this kind of stuff on social media and fun to think that georgia kind of makes itself the obvious and irresistible choice here of Players who want to be the next big thing will come to the program that's producing the big things. Come to the program that feels bigger than, I don't know, just about anything else in college football feels right now and maybe bigger than the programs ever felt before. There is clearly a level of momentum right now for Georgia football that is seemingly unrivaled. And it has been used to great success to bring in a bunch of recruits who helped win a national championship. And now that snowball seems to be rolling even more of a program that all of a sudden starts to have that uh, that energy and that feel truly like one of those summer blockbuster type things where everybody seems to be enjoying it. Everybody seems to be a want, a part, or want, want to be a part of it. The buzz is palpable right now. And if you're a Georgia fan, this is the kind of thing that you have waited a long time to be able to see. So I hope you enjoy it as much as you should. 
I'm Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of George, and we're happy to be back with you no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 945 uh, for our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, happy to be all with all of you on video and of course with our podcast folks on the apple player the spotify all the various podcast uh, channels good to be with you there and of course uh radio every day as well 960 the ref there in athens that's always a lot of fun we're just happy to have you as a part of the program today and a big thanks to our friends at pella window and door of georgia for making it all possible you know they help equip your house with energy efficient windows and doors that's something that feels really good this time of year because listen i was driving in this morning and it's 90 degrees at least that's what about what it felt like and you know when you're at the beach and you're kind of out there in the ocean you get the sea breeze blowing you don't think about those hot temperatures too much but when you get back home you better believe when you're several hundred miles away from the ocean all of a sudden those hot temps you start to think about those a lot more you start to notice them more and you start to turn that air conditioning a little you know crank it up a little bit more and that means you want to keep it on the inside of your house where it's supposed to be that's what Pella window and door of georgia uh helps you do that energy stays where it's supposed to be on the inside of your house but it also makes your house look better on the outside there as well improving that curb appeal there too it's a family-owned and operated business right here in georgia local service but also it's backed by that national name that's what Pella's known to be a recognized brand leader they've also got great savings for you right now too between now and july 2nd you can get 10 percent off your entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months uh great stuff there from pella window and door of georgia including some of the best warranties in the industry and uh, of course unparalleled service and uh great expertise all of that is what Pella's famous for so reach out to them on online the website pella of ga.com slash dog nation that's pella of ga.com slash dog nation you can also give them a call 678-638-1496 678-638-1496 pella window and door of georgia is viewed to be the best all right we're gonna get john stinchcomb here in just a moment before we do that though, i want to go around the doghouse here today and it is uh, assisted today by our friends at AAA. now if you want to go back in time here just for a moment so on friday's show one of the things we talked about were the six georgia players that we felt like at the end of the season had a realistic reasonable argument to be made they could be the best players at their position for the upcoming season i'm talking the entire country and the names that we mentioned i thought it was really interesting to see of the six names that we mentioned five of those also showed up recently on the athlon sports preseason all sec list now listen a lot of you know that i love the preseason magazines i just enjoy those kinds of things i kind of always have sitting by the pool doing what i do being on vacation reading the college ball preseason magazines just something i really enjoy doing and of all the preseason magazines i would say that athlon might actually be my very favorite because i've known some of the athlon guys uh for a while these are real college football people they're paying close attention to college football their opinion carries a little extra weight with me just because i know they're pretty plugged into the college football scene and i think they're what based out of nashville i believe and so they're probably even more plugged in kind of the sec scene obviously if you want to you know sell magazines to college football fans knowing a lot about the sec is seemingly a prerequisite there because you've got to guess that more sec fans are buying these magazines than maybe almost anybody else is so the athlon opinions kind of always carried a little extra weight with me so i thought it was really interesting to see how much their preseason all sec list which just uh, came out a moment ago uh, a few days ago reflected pretty closely the list of six names that i had mentioned to you the other day in fact i think we may have this to show here 
of the preseason guys. So here are the uh, ones from Athlon that made it. These are this is first team All SEC. They're second and third team. Uh, there's you know even more, but first team All SEC. You had two from the offense, Brock Bowers and Broderick Jones. You had three from the defense, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, and Keely Ringo. And I said before. These are five of the six names that I also had for you going back to Friday of my list of guys that I thought could be best at their position in the entire country uh, by the end of the year. Uh, we did not have Broderick Jones on that list uh, the other day for us, but Athlon does have him as preseason first team all SEC. And I think the, the key takeaway here for you on this, I think it's pretty interesting, in that there are a lot of people who would say, that this is a Georgia team this season that is due to take a step back after having won the national championship a year ago. But that kind of representation from a first-team All-SEC perspective would suggest that's just not really the case. That you're looking at what I would say is, on the basis of a list like that, a pretty balanced roster. Now, listen, there's going to be a lot of changing on some of these you know lists preseason to end of the season there's some fluctuation that takes place there but i think most people who follow college ball pretty closely would say what athlon shows there is actually a fairly representative snapshot of how most people feel about the situation right now going into the start of the season and what you see from georgia is a first team level guy in all three levels of the defense Carter along the defensive line, Nolan there at the uh, linebacker spot, Keely Ringo in the defensive secondary, and two different names on offense, one there in the offensive line, and one there kind of we'll call we'll count tied in among the skill position players. That reflects, I would say, a pretty balanced look at at the Georgia roster right now. That this is much the same way a year ago. The word we've used before is kind of decentralized. That Georgia's success wasn't really built in the back of any one player. It was networked throughout the program so that you had major contributors, multiple names on defense, but also more than people realized there on the offensive side there as well, that that Georgia was just never going to be debilitated by any one injury, not that you'd ever wish for an injury to take place or not that you know you certainly wouldn't be very disappointed if, if certain Georgia players got hurt, but Georgia did deal with injuries. You, you didn't have George Pickens for the most of last season. You didn't have you know Darnell Washington for a good portion of the season. You could go on and on about the number of injuries that Georgia dealt with, and yet there was enough program strength in other areas that Georgia was able to absorb those injuries. When you think about this upcoming season, the fact that you've got, you know, from the perspective of some folks that are watching this stuff pretty closely, like the people at Athlon are, the fact that you've already got two first-team all-SEC-level players on offense as it's perceived to start the season, and three of those guys as it's perceived to start the season defensively there as well, it speaks to a Georgia roster that actually doesn't look too dissimilar. Even though it's new names, at least for some of the casual fans, even though it's new names, than maybe the, the list of names that dominated Georgia a year ago in terms of the overall strength of the roster, the overall strength of the team, that uh, this is a team that doesn't look altogether all that different from the one that won the national championship their last season. And obviously, you even have the door open. Uh, you even have some more room, maybe, for some other names to potentially emerge there. You heard us talk last Friday about Cedric Von Prahn, his chance of being in a discussion like that is maybe the top center in the country and certainly maybe the guy that has a chance to be the top center in the SEC before it's all said and done. I think running backs like Kenny McIntosh and Kenny and Kendall Milton are going to have that their chance to be a part of that discussion. We think a wide receiver like A.D. Mitchell could potentially be a part of that discussion as well. Maybe an Arian Smith or somebody like that there uh, too. 
that Georgia actually probably, from a perception standpoint, probably starts a little ahead of where it was last year. That national championships, great team success, is built because of a large collection of elite, high-level players, high-end players playing that way. Recognized as first-round picks, recognized as first-team All-SEC-type players. Georgia had a lot of those last season. Those names merged during the year, and that's what helped Georgia enjoy the team success that it did. And the fact is, this year, you've already got about five of those names, if not more, who are starting to get some of that same kind of buzz, which leads you to believe that when it's all said and done, Georgia in 2022, much like it was in 2021, right in the thick of the national championship conversations. Kind of, kind of fun stuff there. It's around the doghouse, and it is uh, assisted today by our friends at AAA. And, of course, you think about AAA, you think about legendary roadside assistance. I enjoy that as I'm traveling around, going to the beach, and doing things like that. But AAA also wants you to think about them for more than just that. They want to be able to provide you uh, things like home insurance there as well. Well, and if you don't think home insurance when you think AAA, it's time to reconsider because of all the options, all the great features and benefits that AAA has for you. Because did you know that with AAA, with home insurance, you can qualify for their disappearing deductible? How cool does that sound? It means you can reduce your deductible by $50 for every policy year you go claim free up to $500. It's just one of the many options that are offered for you by our friends at AAA. So if you go to AAA.com slash home insurance, you can see all them, all the options are available to you. So here's the way you can get in touch. You can give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075. Or as I said before, AAA.com slash home insurance. You can find an agent near you, and you can learn about all the great options available when you get your home insurance through AAA, including the disappearing deductible. Now, this also gives me a chance to do my disclaimer voice. I'll tell you that coverage is subject to all policy terms, conditions, and exclusions and limitations, discounts and savings opportunities subject to eligibility requirements, subject also to underwriting requirements, insurance underwritten by member select insurance company and non-affiliated insurance companies copyright 2022 the auto club group all rights reserved all right so before we're done fun stuff at the expense of the tennessee vols whose baseball team had an embarrassing exit from the uh ncaa baseball tournament losing the super regional in notre dame we'll have some fun with that also some folks are kind of mocking florida a little bit today we'll tell you why we'll have an update on arch manning there too so we'll cover a lot of ground before we're all said and done here today but on a monday also a great chance for us to talk to our buddy john stinchcomb we haven't done this live in a little while but it's good to be able to do it today it is john stinchcomb here on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia hope he and all of you are doing great today and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Great time to be able to talk to a John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I'm fresh off vacation. John hopefully is enjoying his summer there too. John, thanks for spending a little bit of time with us here today. And as I said before, I hope you are enjoying your summer so far. It sounds like uh, you getting back on the beach, you are as well. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, very much so. Let me start with the offensive line here for a moment because one of the things we talked about on Friday uh, while I was kind of doing a little bit of a pre-recorded show is I think there are a handful of Georgia players that, that reasonably – could be maybe viewed as best at their position in the country by the time the year is done and some of the names that i mentioned were also kind of echoed on a you know preseason all sec list that just came out from our friends at athlon sports and obviously when you think about like sort of national award consideration or national attention standpoint there's probably a small handful of Georgia offensive line that kind of already start off in a discussion like that. I think Warren McClendon deservedly should be in some of that because of 
how well he's played over the course of the last couple of seasons for UGA. I think Broderick Jones seems to be gaining a lot of steam really quickly, a guy who really stepped up as uh, among the heroes in the national championship game and uh, I think starts this year as one of those guys that Georgia fans feel pretty good about, even though he wasn't a, a full-time starter a year ago. And then also kind of lead you to Cedric Von Prine Granger right there in the middle as your center. A guy that was not uh, Athlon's first team all SEC center, but a guy who I think could very much be in that spot by the end of the year. You know, John, you know the offensive line position, obviously, as well as anybody could because of how well you played that spot yourself during your time at UGA. How good do you think this offensive line can can be right now? And I ask this knowing that I think you thought the offensive line from a year ago was probably pretty good. Uh, but how good do you think this group can be here for this upcoming season? Yeah, I, I think this offensive line is on the same page as this overall offensive unit. I think their ceiling is probably higher than what it was a year ago, which is saying something considering uh, Jamari Sawyer and Justin Schaefer um, and the number of guys that have have gone on to the NFL. But um, I think the big picture is, is you're looking at a high ceiling. We may have lost John. Let me bring John back in on this. John, sorry we lost you there for a moment, but you were in the midst of talking about some guys that you thought had high upside, and we apologize for losing you, but uh, we'll bring you back into the discussion right now. What's the joys of live broadcast? BA? That's right. When we record it. We can probably avoid some of these things. But, <laughs> you know, just talking about this offensive line, uh, you know, Broderick Jones is a high ceiling. Warm Clinton comes back and is continued to build on a already pretty impressive resume. Uh, the fact that you don't talk about him much in uh, these past few years only means that he's been overshadowed by guys that were probably a little more NFL ready. But, uh, from a consistency standpoint, few players have outplayed McClendon at that right tackle spot. And then uh, Cedric in the middle was a guy that uh, arguably wasn't slated as the starter this time of the year last year. But um, when the, the cards were shuffled due to injury, uh, he was one of the most uh, consistent young players to, to join this group. So you're starting off with three really good anchor points. And then you're adding uh, into the guard positions uh, a mixture of, of experience with guys like Erickson and then um, guys who, who are chomping at the bit for their opportunity, uh, like Tate Ratledge coming off injury, Amarius Mims, who probably arguably is, is more naturally a tackle, but is, is looking to find a way to get himself onto that playing field. So. It's a, it's a group that has a lot of talent and I think is only going to raise the bar from what was already a, a pretty high watermark uh, set by this last group. And to me, I mean, all this leads to the thing that I'm really hopeful for, for this upcoming season, which is a Georgia team that does throw it more than it used to, scores more than it used to. But if you could lean on what I'm hoping is an even better offensive line in 2022 than it was in 2021 and recapture some of the magic that you used to have in the rushing game. Not to say that the Georgia rushing attack was bad a year ago. It clearly wasn't, but it wasn't great like it was in, like, say, 2017, 2018. Now, you know, there's no free lunch in life that getting better in one area sometimes causes you to maybe regress a bit in another. But if you could keep the same level of, like, Todd Munkin-style offensive play that Georgia found last season while also going back and – you know, leaning on a really good offensive line, leaning on a good crop of running backs, and regaining some of that rushing game match you had circa 2017, 2018, 
all of a sudden that becomes a potent you know a pretty potent offense there for Georgia and a real recipe for an offense that would leave defenses in conflict seemingly almost every single Saturday you know that's what I hope the end result of all this is better offensive line play allowing a a more um some more dominant rushing attack to go with the things that Georgia also did very well offensively a year ago. Uh, yeah, and when you look at this group, I think it's uh, a case and scenario where one hand is going to help the other. The fact that you have so many uh, talented players across the board from wide receivers, obviously the tight end group is, in my opinion, the best in the nation, and then a stable of running backs despite losing, again, two more draft picks in the NFL – uh, that were very talented. Uh, you're, you're three or four running backs deep still in, in this uh, Georgia roster. So the fact that they can help each other and, and attack a defense in various ways, I think allows you to be more balanced. Sometimes I think if you look at the, the offensive unit two years ago, uh, defenses were able to key on trying to stop the run and uh, were, were able to put themselves in probably a little more vulnerable positions against the pass, and, and Georgia wasn't quite able to uh, uh, utilize that opportunity. And if a defense is going to try to do that this year, try to key in on stopping fill-in-the-blank, the aerial attack or the run game, I think you have the, the position group and, and the talent across the board to really make defenses play. And, and that makes them play honest, which is the last thing they want to do. They want to be able to key in on one aspect, one player, one uh, specific set of plays that you're trying to shut down. And uh, I think it's really got a lot to do with the amount of talent and the skill positions that's going to help uh, complement this offensive line group. Uh, up front, you know, that's where the discussion is right now, I think you've got guys that are capable of doing both. And, you know, there's still some, some question marks, not having seen a lot of play uh, from two potential starters at the guard position and, and Broderick Jones still growing in. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm very high. I'm, a, I'm buying his stock if you're looking yeah. at Broderick Jones as a guy who's got a really high ceiling that steps into a national championship game at the marquee offensive line position. And, uh, against really quality talent, including Will Anderson, and and does more than an admirable job of, of holding his own. So uh, this is a, a really talented offensive group that um, I, I think is is only going to raise the bar from what we saw last year. So the other thing is when you look at some of these all SEC lists, they're trying to come out preseason type things. The guys are getting uh, consideration. It's obvious that Georgia's got a collection of fairly established stars. You know, defensive guys like Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo and Nolan Smith. And obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, a guy like Brock Bowers, who had such a sensational season a year ago. And, you know, John, it becomes very easy as a fan to get a little greedy here and say, wow, you know, could you just find a couple of more? You know, could you... Could you find a guy like, say, Jamon Dumas-Johnson to break out at the inside linebacker spot and give you a similar level of play to what you think you're going to get from the Carters and the Nolans and the Keeleys? Or, you know, if an Eric Gilbert were to uh, step up a little bit like Bowers did a year ago, or if it was one of your running backs that we talked about a moment ago, or, you know, wide receiver like A.D. Mitchell. I mean, Johnny, it certainly seems like that Georgia, which is already, you know, pretty heavily entrenched in the mix of the national championship conversation, if you can find one or two more names, like one or two more breakout stars 
to go along with what you think are your established stars, then this really could be special all over again for UGA here this year. And I don't, I don't think it's a huge stretch of the imagination for how you'd have to get there. Yeah, and I think that's the way Georgia's built. Uh, you look at these past few years and, and you head into the season, um, having to replace some veterans that have moved on, most of them the NFL. Um, but yet you've got such a strong roster that you feel pretty confident with the, the guys that you're going to have to entrust the, the transition to. And this year is no different. I mean, I, whether it's uh, due to a historic draft and, and NFL quality players that, that Georgia is trying to replace, or the fact that, you know, if, if we're going to be honest with each other, the one area that Georgia probably hasn't won uh, this year is, is in the transfer portal. I mean, we were able to save Amarius Mims, but um, specifically in the secondary and, and really across the board, um, there's been more attrition there than addition. And um, that just means that the, the talent that replaces the players that have left is going to have to come from in-house. And I think that's where Georgia's done an outstanding job of, of recruiting and also um, for the players that they have been able to retain, getting them ready um, for when their their number is called. You know, I was listening to Coach Smart at a Gwinnett County Hall of Fame banquet, and he's talking about um, the practices leading up to Michigan. And yeah. in addition to preparing for that game, you know, part of the conversation, especially in the coach's office, was how do we get these guys that may not be uh, starters or in the rotation against Michigan, but how do we get the guys we're going to be counting on at the start of this 2022 season, how do we get them ready um, for, for when we're going to rely on them? And I think that forward thinking and that player development is a huge reason why Georgia continues to be in the conversation year in and year out. I want to finish with this. The College Football Hall of Fame obviously is one of those things that we feel very proud of here in the city of Atlanta because it's not, you know, too far from where I'm sitting here right now. And obviously there's a strong UGA representation in the College Football Hall of Fame. And on the uh, new ballot, we're seeing the name Garrison Hurst, who obviously is uh, a player that I have very fond memories of when I was growing up as a great running back at UGA. And for the first time also, George, former George coach Mark Richt there as well. And, you know, John, I'll be honest with you, the, the College Football Hall of Fame is also a little weird, too, in terms of sometimes guys make it and you're like, how is that guy not already in the College Football Hall of Fame? There's a little bit of a weird thing for like who is in and who is not in the College Football Hall of Fame. It doesn't always make complete sense to me, but I obviously get really excited when I think about, you know, a guy like Rick getting this kind of consideration just because of the kind of career that he had at UGA, which I think is really important. I think Rick is a very important part of Georgia's uh, football history, although it is going to be obscured some because of the fact that Georgia's now won a national championship after that. But I don't think the Rick years should be forgotten. In fact, I know that was a big part of your football life there as well. So in light of the fact that Rick is going to be on the ballot and probably, you know, garnering a, a good bit of support here, you know, how do you remember, you know, the legacy of Coach Rick there at UGA? And I'm sure you'd love the idea of him, you know, getting some College Football Hall of Fame consideration here. Absolutely. And, and Garrison Hurst as well. I remember you know, some of my really earliest memories of being in Sanford Stadium is watching Garrison yeah. Hurst uh, gallop into the end zone. And, you know, it was most of the time on a recruiting trip for, for my brother that I got to tag along. But, um, you know, a special player. And with Coach Rick, 
I think fans need to recognize where the program was um, when he took over and then where, when, where it was when he left. And it's two very different programs. Um, you know, coming off the, the golf and Donnan area era where we had some good teams, but um, not really uh, in contention on a year-in, year-out basis. And uh, just the consistency that he brought to the program. And, you know, by the time he left, the, one of the reasons was because the bar was set above 10 wins a season. I mean, consistently, that's where he had Georgia. And, um, you know, one of the reasons for the move was in, um, because of the amount of turnover at, at the coordinator spots and, and potentially yet another one was it going to be three or four defensive coordinators um, every year that seemed to happen along with you know, offensive coordinators. And despite that turnover, um, the, the powers that be said, you know what, I, I think although we appreciate what Coach Rick has done, we can move it uh, a step further. And to get to that point, I think Coach Rick deserves that credit of saying he developed and cultivated a culture and an identity and, and a program that – the expectation was not just 10 wins, but championships. And you know, he, he certainly had his opportunities and, and you know, uh, maybe two more yards away from having a national championship trophy under his belt. But um, when you look at the scope of work that Coach Rick put in and that of uh, College Football Hall of Fame coaches, his, his name is very deserving of that accreditation and uh, recognition. So uh, before we let you go, you brought up something I think is kind of interesting. So did you go to games as a fan when you were a kid, John? And you mentioned, you know, going uh, recruiting visits with, with your brother, who's a little older than you are. Uh, obviously, uh, folks know Matt Stinchcomb. Um, but before that, did as just a fan sitting in the stands, how much of that did you do growing up? No, I mean, we were too busy playing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd much rather be playing football than watching it sure. as a kid. So. We spent most of my, our, our weekends growing up in, in the backyard or in a neighbor's yard playing football. So it really wasn't until Matt started uh, being recruited that we actually went to, to games. But, you know, yeah, I grew up a, a Georgia fan, and it would be on in the house. But we, we weren't in the house that much. We were always outside playing. What was it like for you when you finally did start going to the stadiums and, you know, the loud crowds, the big atmospheres, the things like that? Was that something that, I mean, that you were just immediately drawn to? Or, you know, I mean, how, how much were you impacted by the fact that, okay, so you've been kind of playing football in the backyard of the rec leagues, things like that, obviously, you know, great high school careers, and now taking that next step up and getting that college attention. Your brother got it first, and then you got it after that. What was it like when you finally did start getting immersed in some of that, you know, on-campus, in-stadium-type atmosphere? Well, it's awe-inspiring. I mean, you're, you're looking at uh, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people gathered to watch and just the energy that you felt in the stadium was unlike any other. And that's really a feeling that, that never left me. I mean, uh, even playing later in my career in the NFL, just to, to recognize what a unique experience to have that many people uh, so passionate about something that you get to be a part of. Um, it's such a cool experience. And I, I don't think it ever grows old. Uh, even going to stadiums now and um, witnessing and participating in games uh, as a fan, it's it's such a unique 
experience and, and binding with so many other folks that uh, as a player and as a young guy, before I even thought that uh, being able to play might be an opportunity, um, it's so unique and special that uh, I just love being a part of it. And as a kid, um, you know, like I say, most of those early experiences in stadiums was with Matt as a recruit. Um, it was cool. I mean, just so cool to think uh, at the time, I'm thinking maybe maybe my brother could do some of this and, and be able to cheer him on uh, even further. But um, then to know that later I'd have that same opportunity, it, it, it's just one of those unique experiences that I was certainly grateful for at the time and, and still am because it's, unique and awesome all at the same time so as a kid it's really cool that's great to hear john that's really cool stuff and i appreciate your perspective on coach rick there as well thank you so much for being here with us today on uh, dog nation daily presented by pella window indoor of georgia we'll look forward to talking to you some more getting close to the start of the season it's gonna be here before you know it so john we appreciate you helping us pass the time appreciate it ba go dog good stuff Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So a couple things that John brings up there in relationship to Coach Rick and, you know, kind of his, you know, legacy era there at UG. And obviously Coach Rick continues to be in our prayers there as well as he's, uh, you know, admirably battling against Parkinson's disease. That's obviously, you know, sad news when we found out that uh, that's what he was going to have to deal with. But, man, he handles this with the dignity and class that seemingly he handles everything else with and i know that's not an easy thing but uh but coach rick certainly certainly he's just he just does it seemingly in an admirable way all the time even through difficult circumstances so he continues to be in our prayers i know many of you feel the same way but beyond that you know two things for me i think come out about the rick era that i don't think that you can forget or at least you shouldn't forget i hope nobody forgets that when georgia won the sec championship in 2002 like that was it was not as big a deal as George winning the national championship, but the mood around the moment was similar because when George won the national championship, it was a twenty-year drought. I'm mean, sorry, forty-year drought, and everybody, you know, was obviously making a big deal about that. Georgia finally getting over the hump, winning the national championship. But when George won the SEC title in '02, it was a twenty-year drought. Uh, you know, of that had not won the SEC title since uh, 1982. That had been a long time. There had been an SEC championship game for a good number of years in Atlanta in the shadow of the uh, University of Georgia campus. Georgia had not been to that game before. So when Rick broke through and helped Georgia win the SEC championship in his second year on the job, that was really received as a very big deal. And it is a part of Georgia football history, the same way the 2005 SEC championship win was. I think there's something to be said for this, that while obviously you reserve like the top shelf for the greatest moments, you know, the Herschel Walkers, the Vince Dooley's, the 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 Kirby Smarts, you know, that's not the only room that you have to appreciate history. And Rick, I would say, is a very important part of Georgia's football history there in its own right because of the way in which he did break through in 02 and the way in which he handled himself over the course of 15 years of doing the job at UG. And that's got to be part of of the consideration there is something to be said for just kind of doing it the right way there is something to be said for doing right by the people that you're working with leveraging your authority for their benefit and that's just something that rick was really good at doing and yeah he stopped short of winning the national championship but ultimately 
I don't think the way in which Rick coached UGA leaves him with any regrets whatsoever. I truly don't. Even though, obviously, the national championship is the thing we all aspire to, the fact of the matter is the kind of universal respect that Richt has earned in a lot of ways is more rare than a national championship would be. So I hope that's part of the consideration there, too. We're obviously homers here on the Richt topic. We'd love to see him make the College Football Hall of Fame at some point in time. I am not an expert in how you get into this College Football Hall of Fame because it seems to be a little weird. Uh, but nonetheless, we'd love to see Coach Rick to get that consideration. And it'll be fun to watch that play out. And by the way, nice to hear John saying some good things about Garrison Hurst there as well because one of my all-time Georgia arguments, one of the things I'll go to the mat on you with uh, is the fact that I think that Hurst should have won the uh, Heisman Trophy in 1992. Gino Toretta won it. Uh, Marshall Falk from San Diego State was also a part of it. But uh, uh, Hurst did win AP Player of the Year uh, back in 92. I, I think, to me, that's a guy that, that probably had a stronger Heisman case than sometimes he's given credit for. All right, we'll go to SEC 3 in a moment. Before that, though, let's go cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Obviously, you need a vacation. I just enjoyed one, and many of you making plans to enjoy your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here coming up uh, this summer. I can't recommend that highly enough. We had a great time on Independence of the Seas in April. And really, you know, ships like that are really fun and, and cool. If you want to go out of Port Canaveral, you know, short drive from where we are here in the Atlanta area. It's easy to get to, and you can do one of those three or four night sailings. You know, Independence of the Seas is one of the ships that you can do with that. There's also Mariner of the Seas there as well. That's a recently amplified ship that kind of adds some great new features and benefits to it. It's just a really fun, wonderful experience, and so many of those uh, short three and four day uh, itineraries also take you to Perfect Day Coco Cay. That's the private island right there in the Bahamas. This is one of the coolest things I think you can ever do. It's probably uh, the single most enjoyable uh, day you probably ever have in a vacation type se- uh, sense. You get the thrill side with the water park, the tallest water slide in North America. You get the chill side, largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas, and uh, you got great food while you're there. Beautiful views of the uh, surrounding beach. You got a helium balloon take you 400 feet in the air. It's just a really wonderful experience. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation uh, Authority can help you out with all of that. So you can check them out online, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. And our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help get you hooked up and ready to go on your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So I've joked a little bit about, about this on social media the last few days, but I have to admit, I have very much enjoyed watching Tennessee baseball fall flat on its face uh, in the postseason here, Uh, losing in the super regional to Notre Dame. Irish uh, took care of business yesterday, won game one, won game three. They will move on uh, to Omaha and Tennessee will be forced to watch all of this on uh, television. And you've heard me say this now for a little while. I think I, I think the first time we brought this up on the show was back in April, actually, um, when the, the season was just kind of getting really kind of cranked up, that I had never seen a baseball team generate the kind of heat this Tennessee baseball team was, was kind of generating. This was growing into the kind of thing that was a very easy crew to hate. You had you know Tony Vitello, the uh, coach, he's bumping umpires, he's getting suspended for that. You got all kinds of bat flipping, you, you know, uh, guys running the bases flipping you know guys off with the middle finger i mean i thought the way in which tennessee played the game this year was just grotesque i really do and you know there's this sense in which um 
that it almost becomes like an old school versus new school argument that uh, you old school guys don't appreciate the way that Tennessee's playing. They're playing, you know, this new school brand of baseball and you need to, you know, kind of get with the picture here. Be that as it may, and some people obviously feel that way. The fact of the matter is, I don't think there's any doubt that when you play with the kind of disrespect that Tennessee played with, I do think it makes winning more difficult. I really do. As old-fashioned as a concept that is, I do truly believe that pride cometh before the fall. That is received wisdom from the ages. It was true thousands of years ago, and it is still true in 2022 there as well, that when you set yourself up uh, in a situation like that, that kind of pride, that kind of unearned swagger becomes a yoke around your neck when you really need to play well in a super regional situation. And when they melted down in front of their own fans there in Knoxville, uh, it's the kind of thing that just sort of spirals more and more. And by the way, the Tennessee fans then have an even bigger meltdown on top of all that. They're throwing trash in the field. Lane Kiffin was having some fun with that. Do we have the Lane Kiffin tweet here? Uh, Kiffin was having fun with that, with the fact that the same Tennessee fans that were throwing mustard bottles during the football uh game this past season we're also uh throwing mustard bottles again when one of the players drew gilbert got ejected how many times we talked about a tennessee player getting ejected this year seems like all the time uh and so what kiffin tweeted out was mustard bottle thrown the field again he says where's the golf balls obviously that's something that kiffin had uh, a ton of fun with just because of the fact that his old miss team was involved with all the trash throwing during the football season here this year but uh yeah to me this was a blast it was so much fun watching uh tennessee lose uh so much <laughs> if you're looking on video here there's also the one t-shirt going back to the 80s do you remember the uh the classic uh rivalry that developed for a while between miami and uh notre dame and it was known as catholics versus convicts obviously some miami players had, had a little bit of trouble with the uh, law and so you had the catholics versus convicts uh t-shirts there and so there's a tennessee fan holding up a classless versus catholics t-shirt which is kind of a little bit of a throwback to that there a, a, a little bit um obviously a lot of folks thought the tennessee baseball team was classless a lot of tennessee fans kind of embraced that idea and ultimately, they can sit around and be classless as they watch these games on television. It was very fun for me to watch Tennessee lose. I think a lot of you kind of felt the same way. Something else was kind of fun. So there was a photo that went viral over the weekend of, I guess, a Florida recruiting visitor being served a meal that didn't have a lot of presentation, a lot of presentation value to it. Do we have this? Can we show this? Uh, so this is the photo here. Uh, I guess Peyton Kirkland's the recruit. C.J. Wilson, the one that tweets this out, he says, uh, "What are these boys eating down there? Like this does not look good. Uh, it's like two wings, kind of an odd color for some macaroni and cheese, a pretty bland looking salad." little bit of cornbread anthony white sent this to me and said what in the world was that i guess that's why they call it the swamp in terms of the uh, food that florida's eating down there i mean the gators just can't seem to get it right can they even billy napier you got a little bit of food going on here that does not exactly look uh, you know certainly befitting we talked before about georgia kind of recruiting from a position of strength and kind of feeling like this big hollywood blockbuster program with these recruiting visits you got guys there eating great by comparison, I'm not quite so sure what the Florida folks are enjoying there. A pretty odd photo coming into Gainesville to uh, be sure there on that. A couple of things I want to point out to you. So Lincoln Riley has been making the rounds lately. Uh, he was interviewed by both ESPN and CBS here within the last week alone. And in the article with Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, 
tries very hard to make it clear that no, he didn't leave Oklahoma because he was afraid of the SEC or you know choose not to take the LSU money because he was afraid of the SEC. That he wants to go to USC and uh, he feels like they have unparalleled resources. In fact, another interview he talked about before about how every time he made the uh, playoff with uh, Oklahoma, he always had no better than the third best roster in the playoff. Essentially saying he had no chance to win about conduct unbecoming i think the whole thing from him of first of all if you're that happy at usc you wouldn't have to keep giving these interviews talking about how happy you are if if you were truly that happy it'd be self-evident and if you really are at a program that's positioned to better win more so than oklahoma is right now um i think there might be more evidence to point that out now you bring your quarterback caleb williams over and you go out and, you know transfer portal and you get jordan addison the wide receiver but the, the spring game alone i mean there were 30,000 people the USC spring game there's a full house 70 something thousand to see the debut of Brent Venables there at Oklahoma um you know given the fact that Riley's had so little success against the SEC I think it makes it hard to have folks believe that he really was all that excited about being a coach in the SEC so he runs way out there to LA at USC and they'll generate some buzz they'll get Colin Cowherd talking about them but ultimately we don't think that USC is set up to win at all now Riley's going to be really rich and really well paid um, but in terms of you know having the kind of success that an SEC coach would be demanded to have uh, we think being way out there in USC and LA for Riley far removed from that that may be a better fit from his personality overall but interesting to see him talking about that some and then finally uh arch manning who obviously two weekends ago took his visit to uga and by all accounts that seemed to go really well also took his visit to alabama here this weekend weird in the fact they've already got a quarterback commit for the class of 2023 eli holstein but uh arch manning still went to tuscaloosa there he is uh wearing the alabama uniform uh, is there anything that Alabama won't try to copy Georgia on? We've seen the uh, all-white Georgia uniforms get a lot of attention here on social media. And there's Arch Manning wearing the all-white Alabama uniform uh, during his recruiting visit there to uh, Tuscaloosa. For those of you watching in video, you see that, that. He's obviously got his visit coming up to uh, Texas there as well. So the uh, Manning tour continues. And I don't know if you're Eli Holstein, how do you even feel about this? You know, like you're their guy, you're their quarterback, but they're still – you know, cheesing with uh with with Arch Manning during his visit. It's kind of a weird time to be, I think, a Bama fan related to all of that with Manning here, seemingly not considering Alabama to any strong degree. They've already got Eli Holstein, but you still got, you know, Manning going through the paces with his Alabama visit there. So pretty interesting stuff. And obviously we'll see how the Texas visit goes for Manning. That's been the school that a lot of folks have said, hey, it's a battle between Georgia and Texas for Manning. And Georgia put its best case forward a couple of weekends ago. We'll see if Texas is now able to do the same thing as he gets ready to visit there. We'll also make that cruising around the SEC, uh, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me also give a shout out here to my friends at the Finish Long Drink. You know, I was just on vacation, and obviously when I'm doing that, when I'm sitting outside enjoying some pool time or some beach time, the thing I know is something that you all know there as well. There is nothing that goes better than that than our friends at the Finish Long Drink. just tastes so good, and for some reason – in kind of a summertime vibe it tastes even better whether you're talking about the uh, traditional blue can which is a grapefruit kick to go along with the uh, gin flavor or you want the cranberry the long drink cranberry the long drink strong which is eight and a half percent alcohol by volume you want the long drink a zero that's no carbs no sugar this is a ready to drink cocktail right there in a can you pop the top you enjoy it, it looks like a beer but it's not it's a ready to drink cocktail it's a really new fun category of drink and the uh, finished long drink brings all that to you. you can even get one of the eight can variety packs 
and enjoy two different cans of each of the four finished long drink varieties. So it's a really fun thing to enjoy. And if you go to thelongdrink.com, you can find out where you can pick some up today. Right there uh, on the website, you can put in your zip code and find out beverage store, there's like golf courses near me, uh, restaurants, uh, bars, whatever else, that you can enjoy yourself some finished long drink. So many of you have, and you've loved it. I'm glad that you have, and we appreciate that. And if you haven't tried it, it's a great chance for you to do that. Just go to thelongdrink.com to find out more about that today. So a little bit different way for us to close out today. In fact, if you don't mind, I want to bring down that music there a little bit. We're going to put aside our uh, Gator Hater stuff and our Golden Shoe stuff today because I learned some sad news while I was gone on vacation that one of the longtime commenters to our show a guy that was a really big part of our show when we first started getting involved in video a few years ago a guy named nick lurch who is a friend to so many in our audience because of the fact that one of our big video platforms is on facebook and so a lot of folks have interacted with each other on facebook there for a good number of years one of our buddies arnold santiago uh let us know over the weekend that uh, Nick Lurch has passed away. Uh, see a photo that Arnold shared, beautiful photo of Nick there with his family. And I thought what Arnold wrote was so uh, good here. I want to read this to you. He says, I know you want an update on Nick. Well, after your show last Friday, his daughter shared that he had passed away. He says, we lost a great friend and a longtime listener of Dog Nation Daily. And I am so sad about that. So I hope that the family of uh, Nick Lurch hears from us just how much we've enjoyed his companionship over the course of the years of doing this show, how much we appreciate the way in which he always interacted with us and has interacted with so many of the folks there in our audience. And obviously, when you see a photo like that with family, for those of you watching on video, you're reminded of what really matters here. And the fact that away from Georgia football and away from the fandom, there is a life that's much more important the impact that he made in his own family it's clearly obvious that he was well loved and that is a great legacy so it's always sad when we lose a member of uh, our little dog nation family here and nick was a big part of that so certainly we send sincere prayers out to his family and we just uh, hope that you get comfort during this certainly tough time uh, we loved nick and we were happy to have uh, his impact in uh, our lives here and we will continue to pray for all of you. And so so we just wanted to say that as we close out today in uh, honor of Nick Lurch passing. We just wanted to uh, celebrate his life for a moment here at the end of this show. So thanks so much to all of you for being here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window in Dorf, Georgia. And we'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.